Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Allison Campbell. Allison is the Director of Knowledge Transfer Ireland, also known as KTI. Knowledge Transfer Ireland was established to support Ireland's developing ambitions for innovation through research commercialization. KTI's purpose is to make it simpler for companies and entrepreneurs to connect and engage with publicly funded research, stimulating innovation through access to expertise, technology, and intellectual property. Prior to her time at KTI, Allison was the Director of Innovation at King's College London and the Managing Director of King's College London Business, LTD. Prior to her time at King's College, Allison was the CEO of Medical Research Council Technology and before that, a research scientist at Celtech LTD. She's also provided advice to a number of organizations internationally on research commercialization. Allison has also held several prominent board appointments. Specifically, Allison has served as the chair of the Board of Autumn, co-founder and chair of the Alliance of Technology Transfer Professionals, also known as ATTP, chair of Praxis Oral, as well as numerous other board roles, such as at King's College London, KNICQ Immune Regulation, KNICQ Seed Fund Investment Board, Therogenetics, Cambridge Genetics, just to name a few. Allison received her Bachelor's of Science with Honors in Biochemistry from the University College London and her PhD from Imperial College London. She has a diploma in company direction from the Institute of Directors. And with that extremely impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Allison. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am as well. And thank you so much again, Allison, for taking part in the podcast. Generally, I like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Allison, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Knowledge Transfer Ireland? Well, I certainly can. And I, I must say that it's not um, it's not somewhere that I thought originally I, w- I would end up being, partly because, and I, I often say this to, to folks, you know, you have to be um, open to serendipity, uh, I think. So I, I started off... Um, PhD researcher, went to work in industry because I knew that I fancied the um, the application side of things. Um, really enjoyed my time in biotech industry, but began to get a little bit itchy to get a little bit more involved in what we used to call front of house activities, or rather front of the building. And that's primarily because all of the commercial stuff happened in the front of the building and all the labs were in the, in the back. And 
while I was thinking about that and the opportunities to move internally within the organization, I happened to be flicking through as you do a new scientist. And I can see I can still see the advert today all, all these years later. And it said the UK Medical Research Council was looking to recruit somebody who had my kind of technical background um, in, in um, IP um, immunology um, Main, main, mainly really in antibody engineering, to come and staff a new office uh, that they were developing in technology transfer. And I tell you at that stage, because we're talking early 90s here in the UK, um, I did think, what is technology transfer? But thought, gosh, that sounds really interesting. I don't know enough about this but I know that I've got the right kind of technical fit. Long I went for the interview, and really that's been, um, I think, one of the, the key elements of my career to date is that I happened to meet with somebody. We got on incredibly well. He saw the potential in me. I, I joined the organisation as one of its first technology transfer managers um, and just worked for an absolutely super guy called called David Owen. He, he came out of industry. And at my time um, within the Medical Research Council, we did great things. So that was a combination of starting from the ground up, IP management, licensing, the usual stuff, um, through to getting to grips with more programs, running running the team, helping with um, a backward merger into some um, applied labs, uh, contributing to the establishment of a dedicated um, seed fund for the ideas and the inventions that were coming out. Now, I remember at one stage being thrown um, a project with some other people, which was we need a proof of concept fund. Go figure out what that's going to look like. And it was just great to be given that degree of trust and responsibility and that sort of really helped build my career so I worked my way up through that then went to work in a university managing research support and innovation thoroughly enjoyed that very naively I thought well it's got to be quite similar a university they do research I've come from a research funding organization managing the intramural research programs within universities. No, no, it wasn't. Um, very, very different kinds of organisations. And it was absolutely brilliant to spend seven years in a university. But I tell you, after that, it, it was time to pause and take breath. So I spent, and I would recommend this to anybody, actually, I spent a couple of years engaged in consultancy activity. And I got the opportunity to work with lots of different organisations, I've got the opportunity to work with friends on some projects as well. And it was lovely to, to go in, be able to share some expertise, analyse some issues, make some recommendations and step back out again for a while. Um, but eventually the itch came again. And, and I realised that after having given a lot of advice, I was ready to start driving things through to the end. Serendipity again. Happened, somebody happened to tell me that this opportunity was coming up in Ireland. Now, um, another thing that I always find interesting is um, I've got a very good friend who says you make your own luck in life. So much as I talk about serendipity, actually, you subtly paved the way without realising it. And so I had been involved because I've always had a curious interest in what's going on in Ireland. I'd been involved in a couple of review panels in the country. So I had a good sense of what the research landscape was looking like. I had a good sense of what the technology transfer infrastructure was like and, and, and where it had come from and where it was going. So to me, it was a no brainer to say, yep, 
this is a job for me. So um, I up sticks um, and, and came over to Ireland. And I've been here for the last eight years doing the best job I've ever had. That's quite a journey, Alison. It, it sounds like hearing you talk about your journey to tech transfer, um, that you've loved the entire process and your entire journey from the very beginning being an in industry to, to where you are now. It sounds like it's been a great opportunity, series of opportunities for you. Oh, it certainly has. I mean, the, the, the funny thing is, and I think anybody else who, who works in this profession, you know, if you, if you asked my husband, he may actually turn around and say, no, I've lived through a few of those moments <laughs> and, 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 and perhaps Lisa hasn't got it completely right. But yes, on the whole, I mean, I think, you know, it's been a great privilege to work in the profession and to help professionalize it uh, in in my, my own little way, and we, we might get on to talk about that that later. But in one of the things that's that's really super is it's very collaborative, and I was I was really really struck. Uh, one of one of the the people who joined um, our team um, here in Ireland um, came from very different different sector, um, and the very first uh, you know her baptism was she came along to a particular event that we'd put on, and I remember her saying to me, "Gosh," she said, "I'm just so amazed at just the level of." openness, collaboration and positivity from all of these different offices in universities who on the face of it might be in competition with each other, but actually are all working together because I think that's the other great thing about this, this profession is it's about trying to get great research, great results and great ideas out and used for some kind of long-term benefit. And, and to be honest, for the majority of us in the profession, I think the benefit, the greatest benefit that we can see is it's being used and it's making people's lives better. You know, whether that's better in a healthcare environment, whether it's better because actually there's a technical solution to a problem that, that makes their life easier, it's just great. It's super if you can cut a good deal. It's great if you can bring the revenue return back and that, that there is a thrill in that. But I think it's about making that that difference. And actually, you know, when you think about sort of revenue return elements, I think that there's nothing greater than having spent months trying to get a new spin out company over the line, working with the investors, dealing with all the tricky problems, being up at night, trying to find the really strange material transfer agreement um, that existed 15 years ago that the investor suddenly wants to see for their due diligence and actually bringing that all together and then thinking, we, we've helped in, in our particular way, we've helped a bunch of very smart people start a company that not only will be able to build out this, this technology and this idea, but it's going to start employing people. Um, and that's just a great um, feeling. Um, that and the ability to work with some super researchers. Uh, no, it's a real privilege, this profession. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, turning back, I wanted to ask you about Knowledge Transfer Ireland. For those of our listeners who may not be familiar with it, could you tell us a little bit more about it and how it got its start? Absolutely. So I'll tell you what it is and then I'll tell you how it started because I, I find that that really interesting. So, so Knowledge Transfer Island, it's a national office um, 
for, for Ireland, for, for, for the country. Um, and our job is to take an overview of what we call the knowledge transfer system. And knowledge transfer is it's quite a, a common terminology in, in Europe. It's it's commercialization plus a bit more. So we, we very much, um, we choose it in Ireland within that term to wrap in collaboration with industry, consultancy to industry, as well as a typical IP licensing creation of, of new companies. Uh, so we take an overview of that. Now, what does that mean? It means many things. Um, one of them from a very university-focused perspective and our Institutes of Technology perspective is we manage um, a funding programme that, that helps support the technology transfer offices. So it, it, it provides money for people, it provides running costs alongside the, the universities and the, the institutes themselves. Um, but really, that, that's part of a kind of an established cycle of funding that started many years ago to um, build that capacity and capability. And now is about maturing that and looking at the next developments. And, and also, quite frankly, having it there, making sure that that capacity and capability doesn't fall away through through lack of funding and, 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 and lack of, of coordination. Our other role is to really encourage companies in particular, but founders and investors, to engage with that research system, primarily, again, the universities, institutes, but, but there's, there's some other publicly funded um, research organisations. And encouraging them is a, a combination of a programme of activities. It's about, it's about events, communications, outreach. It's explaining the benefits, but it's also about making it easier for them. So we have, we have a website um, knowledgetransferisland.com um, and, and we have a whole range of resources on there. So we have anything from um, a guide to all of the research that's being conducted and, and the structures of research, whether it be centres, institutes, various technology gateways um, and all of the sort of funding programmes. We've got a guide to that uh, for companies and um, we also produce a lot of practical reference resources. So that's guides to what is IP and confidentiality through to these are the fundamentals of licensing that you might need to think about. And that's useful for researchers, but it's particularly good to, to companies and smaller companies who may not have originally worked, say, with a university. And we want to demystify that process because it can be quite complicated. And for a company, when they arrive at the door of a university, actually meet a skilled technology transfer officer suddenly discover that they do have several pages of a legal agreement that they're going to need to negotiate and find their way through. There is a bit about, hold on, why and what does this look like? So anything that we can do. So we actually have template agreements that people can use. It explains the various clauses and why they're in there and what they want to think about. What, what we want to do in the country is, is help companies in particular and the institutions that they're working with to really focus on what are the commercial terms? Where's this going? What do we want to do with it? And the boilerplate language is, is there if people want, want to use it. So th there is that, that whole process and that sits into um, a much bigger framework and a kind of intellectual property and commercialization framework for, for the country called the National IP Protocol. And again, very much related to um, trying to make it, it easier. So we're the custodians of that and we we review it, we update it every couple of years. And that's actually a, a chunky document, but it sets out as best it can 
if you were to work with a university, what might you expect? What do you need to think about bringing? What what can they do? What can they not do? Um, and what should you expect to be being done behind the scenes? And it covers all sorts of aspects like intellectual property, research collaboration, and how you might approach the creation of new companies. And it, it's really helpful because it helps, I think, lower the barriers. Um, and particularly if you're thinking about maybe a company who's coming along wants to undertake a research collaboration. Um, in Ireland, we've got loads of really good programmes that, that help and support that. So the government may be co-funding a programme. Having something like the protocol really helps to explain things really simply. If you as a company pay for everything, you can expect to get everything out of it. If you're not paying for everything, Actually, you might need to think that the license that comes with it might have some financial terms attached. That might sound quite simple, but particularly for smaller companies who are less familiar with working in these environments, it's not so easy. And also we find for multinational companies who perhaps are more familiar working in, in other countries and other jurisdictions, being able to say, this is how we do it in, in Ireland. Um, it just gives a kind of structure more of a certainty. Um, and, and we found you can't please everybody all of the time. But actually, people are, are happier by having a framework that they can key off than having nothing there, there at all. So that's a bit about what KTI is about and, and what, what they're here to, we're here to do. In a nutshell, it's all about trying to make the process of research commercialization in Ireland easier. Yeah, it's very, very um, impressive for sure. And and so, how did it get its start exactly? Well, absolutely. Your 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 earlier question, which I failed to answer, and shall answer for you now. Um, very cleverly, um, Ireland, I feel, has been relatively young in terms of its development of its research commercialization. And when you're young, it means that you can be quite smart and and you can learn from what's around you. So. There were technology transfer offices, capability, um, and, and some very good funding programs in the government agencies um, you know, in the early 200s. But way back in 2007, the, the program to begin to, to fund and support and boost technology transfer offices that I talked about came into being. And, and about two or three years after that, um, the government and the major funding agency very sensibly said, right, we've got, we're, we're rocking on this. We know strategically where we all want to go. What can we do to improve this? And what can we do to make it better for companies to work with, with researchers? That was the basis of our first national IP protocol, our, our framework, which really was around companies engaging with, with universities and, and other institutes. And there are whole, it was a super document, took, took I'll have you know, two years to, to come through. So there was a, there was a working group um, that met that, again, very cleverly brought together actors from the government, from funding agencies, tech transfer directors, universities, investors, companies. So you had a lot of very good people, all of whom had an interest in making the system work well. Um, they didn't meet for two years nonstop, but it was over a period of, of two years. They came out with this overarching document and a set of recommendations. One of the recommendations was 
create an office to, and these are always my words, it certainly wasn't in a professional document, create an office to continue worrying about this. Um, and so that's when the idea of a, a sort of centralised office came about. Um, and they took a search to try and find somebody to head it up. I arrived um, and that's when we decided it was going to be Knowledge Transfer Ireland. And then we really, I think, with stakeholders, reinforced um, it, its remit. And, and I'll tell you something really interesting in, in the process. When there was some thought about a centralised office, I, I think some some stakeholders in the broader community were split in terms of what that that might mean. And for some, the perception was a centralised national office to undertake technology transfer on behalf of all of the universities. And for others, there was a sense that that might be um, an office that might have some kind of an overview, but they weren't completely sure what it was what it was going to be. Um, and I was very fortunate to be given enough leeway and to consult with a lot of very good people when, when I arrived. And my sense was looking at, I mean, from my own background, knowing that actually tech transfer offices are staffed with good professional people, knowing that as a country, we've been funding into those offices for at least five years to build them up. Why would you break that? And also, I think there's a very clear link between tech transfer, your researchers, those relationships, and, and also research collaboration. So you can, you can execute transactions in a more centralised manner. But you lose the relationships, you lose the context, and I think you lose the opportunity to essentially cross-sell. So, so we came in, I shaped it um, as it was going to be. And as somebody said to me after about a year or so within the technology transfer community, I think you've been a, a success, Alison, because you've managed not to upset anybody in the process of doing this. <laughs> That's really, really impressive because that very rarely ever happens. So, and, and that leads me to ask you, um, how many people make up your office and how is your office actually structured? Well, we are a small and perfectly formed office staffed entirely with women. Awesome. Um, which, which, well, no, 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 no. At one stage, somebody did ask me when I, when I you know, because I, I do like to show the team and, and, and their faces. And somebody turned around and said, hang on, where's the diversity in there? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, fair point, actually. Um, no, we're a small team. We're actually based within our enterprise and innovation agency, Enterprise Ireland. But our mandate is, is quite broad. So we, we look across all the kinds of companies that might want to engage with, with our research base. And we also look across all of the flavors of, of university and, and institute. So there's the six of us and we're, we're engaged in, in sort of, I guess, three main pillars of activity. One of them very much sits around managing that program of funding that I talked about and helping develop the technology transfer system. And by de develop, there's elements of develop. There's a lots of elements of work with the people in it to improve it and, and, and build it out. Um, we have another strand of activity, which is very much around industry and stakeholder engagement. And that's particularly looking at how do we put on events, outreach, build out business benefit stories? How do we how do we 
help more companies be aware of what's available for them and the resources that we've got to make it easier. And then the final strand, which which interplays really well with that, is a whole communication strand. And, and there we're looking at our website, our website of resources, support for the events that we've put on. Um, and we also produce a number of publications. So, so this year we launched um, the Chunky Document, um, all about research innovation um, and all the kinds of programs that are available in the country, which is a handy um, reference. And every year we produce something called the Annual Knowledge Transfer Survey, or a snapshot for us, AKTS. And that's great. Um, what we do is we gather, and my Lord, the tech transfer offices are just super. We gather a whole bunch of data from them and slightly wider within their, their own institutions. We bring it all together, we crunch it, and we produce an annual report, which is essentially a report on system performance and the metrics and the outputs from that. Um, and we're actually one of the few countries that do that um, and do that in a very visible way. Um, and we do that for, for a number of reasons. Um, one of them is to try and build confidence in the system. Um, and I think if you're confident, you're willing to be very open. So we say it like it is. Um, Fortunately, what, what we've seen is, you know, in terms of, of, of the outputs and the outturns from the system, they've, they've been going up or they're plateauing. Um, and there's an element of that which is based on the size of the system um, and the funding that goes in at the bottom and the, just the amount of research that, that, that's being done. But, you know, in some areas, there's lots of growth. In other areas, there's the steady state, all of which makes sense. But it's very helpful when you want to then start to look at, OK, where are the next policy um, interventions that, that need to be done? And also, um, quite helpful, I think, and, and quite cheekily, um, our, our colleagues out in the various institutions do like to have a look and have a look at how their, their own performance is um, comparing to others. But we are very clear. It's by no means a league table. What we're trying to do is provide a snapshot of what's happening in the country because we have different, as, as everybody does, but we have different universities. We've got different kinds of institutes. They have slightly different strategies and missions. They're based regionally in different places. If they were all performing in exactly the same way, something would be wrong because they actually need to, to whilst a lot of the, there's a lot of commonality in, in the functions and the activities, um, they each have to work with their own strategy, with the purpose and within the context in which they operate. Now, Alison, I wanted to switch gears and ask you, in 2019 and 20, you were part of an expert group that was appointed by the European Commission Joint Research Center to consider how best to progress towards an EU-wide set of harmonized metrics for knowledge transfer in PROs, which included universities. Interestingly, um, your expert group was given three tasks. Uh, the first was to explore with those active in knowledge transfer across EU member states, the appetite for harmonized metrics and the factors that would influence their adoption. The second was to review what was called the 2009 seven core and seven supplementary indicators for PROs and test their validity in 2019. And then finally, the third was recommend a set of harmonized core indicators and methodology for their adoption. 
Now, your group worked really, really hard. I know you met at least seven times between September 2019 and February 2020, which was a lot. You interviewed 29 individuals in 25 countries. So you did a tremendous amount of research. Can you tell us what your group found with respect to each of these tasks and what the ultimate recommendations were? I certainly can. Um, and that, that, was, that was a great project to be involved with. And of course, we were particularly lucky because we met in person uh, <laughs> because it, it was that time when, when we could. And, and you know, that was, that was just terrific in terms of really being able to bounce ideas around and, and, and be quite, um, quite creative. Um, there's definitely an appetite um, across the, the 27 member states in, in the European Union to think about how we get towards the idea of harmonised metrics. Because if nothing else, people really do want to be able to assess how they're performing. And I'll, I'll come back to, to what that, that means just now. But the first thing is, is people. And by, by people, that's anything from the head of a, a technology transfer office, the head of a, a university or the VP for, for research, through to various policymakers or, or ministries. Um, so the, there is a genuine interest in doing this, um, and data and metrics are collected in a lot of countries. Um, Europe, of course, is um, quite diverse um, in terms of the maturity of its tech transfer and its knowledge transfer systems. And that was something I think very important that, that came out from all of the consultations. So people wanted to be able to use this kind of, of information to actually track their, their developmental progress in terms of either building up their office or the kinds of, of policies and progress that was being made in country. What they didn't want to do was have data made available that ended up just becoming league tables of performance. Um, and, and a really um, key message that was coming out um, that we captured in the report was that context matters. And you know, to, to a certain extent, a lot of what we were able to pull together, you could say was a no-brainer. Um, but but hopefully what we did was we did it with something of an evidence base um, and hopefully we did it in a coherent enough manner that actually began to explore and explain some of those issues. So overall, um, we came up with a number, which many have done before, um, a number of kind of key channels for knowledge transfer, um, which even extended beyond the IP licensing startups, collaboration, consultancy. You know, it, it's things like providing continuing professional development, that kind of thing. There's quite, quite a lot in there. Support and assistance for, for policy change and policy and interventions, all of the outputs that you might have from research. And But, but we came up with those we, in a way that we then sort of you know, boil those down to those that relate to particularly knowledge transfer and commercialization um, and explained that really you needed to track a number of them and that just looking at some of them in isolation just didn't give you enough of, of a picture. But you then needed to really consider the, the input metrics as well as the output metrics. And that's where the context matters. For some of it, it's quite, um, it's quite numerical. You know, it's 
what size is the university? How big is its research budget? And is there is there a technology transfer office and do you fund it? Uh, but for others, it's, it's, it's pretty much more narrative. But it, it is saying you've got to take into consideration, you know, if you if you want to perform well in the creation of new companies, do you have proof of concept funds? Do you have incubators? Do you have investors nearby willing to invest? Because if you don't, there's no point in saying we want to look like Institution X. You're not ready to do that. Your, your, your ecosystem um, isn't there. So we made we made all of those recommendations, um, talked about it very much in a, in, I guess, a, a package of metrics, very much the, the input output. Um, and there, there is enthusiasm uh, to move it forward. Uh, we've, we've, we have got some challenges. Um, one of them is the incentives. For, for, for data and metrics to be collected, particularly at a, at a national level, and also even at, at an individual university and TTO level, because where we see you get the best compliance, quite frankly, is where there is a mandate from government or where it's where it's aligned with, with funding, um, and you, you, you just get compliance. We also see it where you've got a more mature system and we're back to this piece about confidence. It's more confident about explaining what it's doing. And, and it can also see the value of having the metrics and the numbers out there to use to point to to make various arguments that, that you want to make. But then there's others who are perhaps a little bit more reticent about sharing data. So there's there's confidentiality issues around that. But, uh, of course, having having done that, that project, um, the, the guys in the commission liked it so much that they asked us to get involved in the follow-on. So that, that that's what a group of us are embroiled in at the moment. We're, we're trying to figure out how you might implement um, and how you might begin to collect and present that kind of national data and do that at a European level, very much working with the European Association, ASTP, who will then lead on that. And also thinking about, is it possible to bring together the data and aggregate it to form a composite indicator. And we have the answer to that, but I can't tell you because we haven't published it yet. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, you can't even give us a spoiler? Spoiler alert? I can tell you it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> kind of figured it would be. When can we expect to be able to read that report? We're, we're hoping sometime in, in the fall, um, definitely by, by year end. Okay. Well, we'll have to keep an eye out for it. We might have to have you back and talk about what you learned and, and what some of the recommendations and conclusions were there. So, but we look forward to reading that report when it comes out because your the first report as part of this joint commission was, was really interesting. So I'm sure this is going to be very interesting as well. So, so Alison, switching gears, I wanted to ask you, what do you think is most important in managing innovations to give them the greatest opportunity for success? I got a couple of answers to that but my top answer is people and I think we can't underestimate people communication relationships and it kind of goes back to the the analogy that we're all so familiar with you know a VC will look at a good opportunity and if it's got somebody great who's going to lead and drive it they'll invest in it and they can look at a superb opportunity. And if it doesn't have the right people leadership, 
they may actually step away from it because it's people that make success happen. Now, of course, sitting behind that, you need people with the right kind of, of, of skills um, in order to do that um, and, and the right sort of training and background. I think next to the people, I would say the, the next thing you need to, to really create success is, in all honesty, money. Money or, or creativity. And, and again here, what, what I'm really thinking about is you apart from anything else, you need to find you need to find the innovations, you need to protect them. That costs money. Um, but really importantly, you know, that you can't underestimate the the proof of concept funding and how to get that early stage idea moved across the the traditional valley of death and i think there are actually there are many values valleys of death and there's just some some potholes as well that you can twist your ankle in but i think money to to really build out the opportunities so that they begin to look more commercially attractive is incredibly um, important so so I, i'd say those, those are the two key elements for me the latter, of course, comes with you need the right kind of ecosystem to work within. Now, that doesn't have to be a national ecosystem. It could be the one that exists within your region or simply within your own university. But if you don't have the stars aligned in the right way, it again, it can be super challenging to, to really get innovations moved and, and, and get them out there. Um, and then ultimately, back to the people, I actually think you need a really good boss. <laughs> who'll give you the freedom you need to be as creative as as, as you can um, and at the same time just create the, the parameters and the framework so that you know quite the boundaries of your freedom and creativity. <laughs> well, Alison, I also wanted to ask you about equity, diversity, inclusion, because this is a really important topic right now that's being discussed in many tech transfer offices around the world. I wanted to get your thoughts and opinions about what you thought was going on on this topic in Ireland. Thank you for asking that question. I, I agree with you. Incredibly important. And I've been I've been delighted to see we, we've, we've got a whole bunch of um, programs and initiatives running in Ireland, both locally within our technology transfer offices and at a more national level in terms of program funding. So, so to take that first, we, we've got a great scheme called the, the Commercialization Fund, um, and that, that's money to actually help the proof of concept. Um, the Commercialization Fund is very much looking to encourage particularly more women um, who may be inventors and innovators to get involved in the program. And th the first place to start within that is actually to analyse what's happening um, and then to build from that to figure out how you can you can maybe sort of tease and, and work that. And of course, work with the technology transfer offices who are, you know, the, the key people on the ground to help make that that happen. So there's various programs and, and strategies there. And what, one thing that I always found very interesting was another program that's directed towards female founders um, of companies. Now, they may not just be um, companies coming out of, of universities. They may be startups more generally. But one of the things that, that really struck me there was and that program's been been running a, a few years now and you know has had incredible success. One of the really interesting things was the program is no different for women than the general program, but it's actually communicated as for women. And consequently, they come because they actually think they can fit in, it resonates for them. Content's exactly the same. Success, 
really high. So that's terrific. And then I have to say, when, when I look on the ground and I look at some of the programs that the tech transfer offices themselves are running, um, and particularly the the researcher awareness, the training, whether it be in commercialization, whether it be in something very specific like startups. Um, and, you know, on the occasions I'm, I'm you know, invited along to, to maybe talk on something particular, I and I look at the cohort of people in there and I'm thinking, that's pretty diverse and that's what we want. So I think all of these things take time, but there really is a, a very sharp focus on it, as there is in, in very many places. Um, and I, I've seen a lot of acceleration over the past couple of years, so I'm encouraged. That's really good to hear. Alison, I also want to switch gears and ask you about some leadership positions you've had. You've had leadership roles in Autumn, ATTP, Praxis Oral. Can you tell us a little bit about the role you've played in these organizations and the value you think they add to the tech transfer community? Sure. I mean, when you say that, I, that causes me to say, gosh, haven't I been lucky? And I have. Um I'll, I'll start, start with Autumn because that was the most recent organisation that, that I've been involved in. And I, I stepped down as, as chair of Autumn, our past chair, so off the board last year. Um, that was just great. I was, um, yeah, I've always gone along to, to Autumn meetings. I absolutely love, and there is a plug, I just love the um, the chats on, on the various groups that they have on, on email. It's just people, again, so open, but the questions that are asked, the answers that are posed, so very useful. So I've always gone along to those. And, and somebody said, oh, um, th there's, there's an opening for um, an international representative on the board. Why don't you think about standing? To which I went, no, 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 they go on. So um, indeed, I had a go and I was fortunate enough to be elected on by the, by the membership. Um, and shortly after that, we were looking at the process of electing the chair from within the board. And, and a couple of people said, do you think you'll stand for that? And I said, oh, I really don't think so. Um, and also, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not from North America. This, this might be a little unusual. And they went, yeah, but you could do the job. So with a bit of encouragement, and I think that that's one of my other sort of life lessons that, that, that I've had is, People do need encouragement um, and they, they, they do need reinforcement and feedback. And, and if you get it at the right time, um, you need to step up towards it. So um, long story short, I had the joy of being um, elected on to, to chair the board. And what was great about that was it was a time of change and transition in the way in which Autumn, the organisation, was run. Um, we really consolidated from an exec director to a CEO. We were kind of building out the, the actual office capability and, and team. So I, I was quite, it was quite good to, to bring in the, the novelty chair, which was me um, from Europe, to because I could I could kind of focus on helping that transition to happen moving to a role that was very much about chairing the board rather than being a president of, of the board and let the rest of the change sort of happen. And I couldn't do that on my own. I mean, you know, the other board members were absolutely terrific. So I hope there that, that one, of, one of the nice things that happens is, you know, we I, I was part of change happening um, and we continued to, to, to deliver all of the autumn products and make some of the changes organisationally that, that, that needed to happen. So that, that was autumn. ATTP was about coming together um, with a good and visionary friend, um, Kevin Cullen, who's um, at Council in Saudi Arabia um, now, um, who 
basically said, come on, everybody, we really need to think about developing some kind of standards for the, the profession around more around knowledge transfer than necessarily just pure licensing. Because quite simply, if we don't do this as a community, it's going to be done to us by an initiative that's going to come out of, of somewhere else. So he gathered together a, a few key people from, from Autumn, like, like Jane Muir, uh, from the UK, from, from Europe, from Australia. Um, and we, we developed the concept of ATTP and the RTTP qualification um, that really looks at all of the kind of, I guess, skills and capabilities that you would want somebody to have in a knowledge transfer role and, and then brings together a they need to come up with a kind of portfolio of experience that actually explains the contributions that they've made in a whole series of dimensions, as well as deal doing. And some of the deal doing could be around. I've led a very large initiative that's established let's say, an incubator for our university and brought in. So it's not necessarily just about I, I did the licensing deal. And so we established that. And that's something that's got a lot of traction, particularly internationally. And we've now moved, I think, to about 12 international tech transfer and knowledge transfer associations becoming part of the membership and the council of ATTP because they can see the value in that kind of a standardization. So we did that. Um, and then way back was, was Praxis Oral. So, again, it's people, it's relationships. Um, another another um, a great guy. Um, it came out of a UK initiative um, way back, which was looking at twinning Cambridge in the UK and obviously Cambridge in, in the US. So it was Cambridge University, MIT kind of initiative. And David Secker and Lita Nelson came together uh, and to think about, one of the aspects that they were looking at was, you know, could you build something that was a little like autumn? How, how, do you, how do you develop training? It was all about training. It wasn't about an association. How do you build training in tech transfer in the UK? So we set about from the basics going, right, well, we'll need to have some training programs. What might they look like? Bringing together some, some people from in the community to just start developing them. And that was 2004. So Praxis Training still rolls on in 2021 um it's got it's got quite a few elements to it but it is actually seen as uh, that certainly in the uk and, and for quite a lot of europe it's the go-to induction go on the fundamentals course build from there now Praxis then merged with a membership organization called Unico, which was around research commercialization. And I was fortunate enough to be chair of Praxis at the time that I could I could help that that merger happen. Again, it goes back to people relationships. It took a long time. It was about trust. It was about commonality of interest. And ultimately, it was about nobody was scared to let this happen. So then I did the thing that you should do when you merge. I stepped away as being chair, um, but it didn't quite get to go. So we, I, I ended up chairing the international portfolio, which brought along you know, some of the ATTP elements and also some of the engagements that we were doing in the UK with, with other associations and universities who are very interested in, in the UK model. So that, that, was, that was just great fun to think about how we could, I guess, spread our experience um, a bit wider, very much with, with the intent to, to share what we knew with people who wanted it and step away and let them get on with it in their own context. So that, that was my journey with, with various national associations. And it's been incredibly enriching. I wouldn't know half of what I knew if it weren't for those interactions and the fab people that I worked with.
So, Allison, you've had an absolutely amazing career knowledge answer. It's really been a pleasure listening to you tell us about your career during this podcast. Can you tell us what it's meant to you and what you're most proud of? I think it's meant a great deal to me, actually. And I think a lot of it has been around... uh, I've talked about collaboration a lot, and I think it is that collaboration piece. On a very personal level, it's been about the friendships that you can make in the community and the the co-learning that you can have. So it's been a very, very enriching environment that's allowed me quite frankly, to be far more creative than I could possibly have been in in a siloed way Um, and given me experiences that I personally just simply wouldn't have had, but for risking putting that foot forward um, and and taking the the chance. Um, In terms of what I'm most proud of, gosh, there's lots of different things along the way, but I have to say where I'm sitting now, I'm actually really chuffed with what we've been able to do in Ireland. Um, I think what we've created is quite unique. And what's been really lovely for me over the past year or so is there's been a, a number of other countries that are now looking to Ireland and they're saying, you've got a great knowledge transfer system. We want to understand more about it. And we also want to understand more about the KTI model and some of the elements that sit in that, because we think we'd like to replicate that. Um, and that's just absolutely terrific. But of course, that's not that's not down to me. That's in part my leadership and, and in part the scope I, I've been given. But some of it's just really been about making sure that we're raising the visibility of what we do in, in a relatively small country that you wouldn't necessarily think of looking to in terms of what's going on in innovation and tech transfer, but actually a country that's that's really motoring, um, has agility and has ambition. So I've actually had the privilege of being able to help us raise our heads um, above the parapet, but I've not been doing that um, that on my own. So yeah, I think right now, that's probably what I'm most chuffed with. And of course, having lovely people like you thinking that this podcast could be interesting to others. So thank you so much, Lisa. Well, you've been an absolute delight. And this has been just a wonderful podcast. And I, I really can't thank you enough, Allison, for all your insights and time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. So if any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Okay, you can, well, you can find me, get ready to type with the typos. Uh, my email is Allison with one L, Alison.Campbell at, or one word, knowledgetransferisland.com. Alternatively, if you just Google um, KTI, you'll probably find that we come up, um, my email's at the back. And of course, there's always LinkedIn and I'd be delighted to connect. But please, if you do, say where you heard and why you want to connect, because I don't know about the rest of you, but sometimes when you get random approaches on LinkedIn, you're you're left scratching your head wondering who the person is. So I'd love to connect with you and LinkedIn may be the easiest way. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much again, Alison. It's really been great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com.
New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.